Hey, listeners of the Bio Report, I want to tell you about a new member benefit from the California Technology Council. CTC has teamed with Reprovada to offer members six months of Reprovada's COT Network service for free, which gives companies the power of a VPN at a fraction of the cost. A remote, flexible workforce is the new normal, but most corporate networks aren't built to accommodate work from home at scale. Reprovada's COT Network offers an easily deployable, affordable, and scalable solution to securely enable remote workers and protect the corporate network. To learn more about this and other member benefits, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Targeting the epigenome, the regulators that turn on and off the activity of genes, has long been viewed as a promising way to treat cancer. But despite the promise of this approach, early efforts brought few successes in part because of the broad effects of hitting these targets. Constellation Pharmaceuticals is taking a next-generation approach to epigenetics, targeting what it calls the writer, reader, and eraser classes of epigenetic regulators to modulate gene expression in a highly selective manner. It believes its approach can be used to both induce cancer cell killing as well as enhance anti-tumor immunity. We spoke to Jagar Raithata, president and CEO of Constellation Pharmaceuticals, about epigenetics, the company's approach to developing highly selective therapies that target gene regulators, and its programs in myelofibrosis and prostate cancer. Jagar, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Danny, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. We're going to talk about epigenetics, constellation pharmaceuticals, and your lead product candidates in development. Let's start with epigenetics, though. For listeners not familiar with this, What role does epigenetics play in the genes that are activated and inactivated within our bodies? Yeah, so uh, I like to think about epigenetics as the the conductor of the orchestra, kind of telling which genes to be turned on and turned off um, given the context that you're in, or in the case of the orchestra, what songs are supposed to be playing. Um, So the the genes, um, the genes are the instruments, and... uh, and epigenetics is the is the conductor. Um, so, and if, if something is wrong, if you've got a saxophone playing when it's not supposed to, it's not going to sound right, and that's kind of how kind of disease aberration occurs. Um, and so, and how so how that works? You know, our genes are encoded in our DNA. They're they're wrapped around proteins called histones, and they're wrapped pretty tightly um, to fit inside cells, um, and then specific. Um, enzymes or or proteins um, then modify that structure of that DNA wrapped around histones to essentially unwind it so it's transcribed uh, or to close it back up so the transcription or the expression of the gene is shut off. Um, 
So it's a pretty um, you know, well-coordinated uh, process when things are, are working really well. Uh, but sometimes that, that machinery of, um, of how genes are, are regulated is, is co-opted uh, by various diseases and, and, and many times in cancer. Uh, and that's, that's the focus of constellation. Well, in the case of cancers, what happens to drive the growth and development of cancer at an epigenetic level? Yeah, so uh, there are, are, are many different pathways that can be impacted. And, and I think what's, what's interesting is that we, we know a lot about, um, you know, which, which pathways drive cancers um, from various oncogenes to uh, even, even pathways that are they're not necessarily oncogenes. We, we've learned a lot about the biology that drives cancers. But in many cases, those, those biologies are inaccessible um, through the drug modalities that we have available to us. Um, and what's exciting about epigenetics is that it allows us to figure out um, which epigenetic regulators are able to uh, basically impact the, uh, the drivers of disease. Um, and in some cases, it's really, um, you know, a, a complex array of different drivers, too, um, that you want to fine-tune um, to, to, to normalize the biology. So it's a very interesting component. Diseases are driven by genetics and aberrations and mutations in genes. And epigenetics allows you to access those without actually directly impacting the mutated gene itself that's causing disease. The term actually goes back more than 75 years. There was a, a fair bit of excitement about 10 or 15 years ago about developing therapies that target the epigenome. But for the most part, they didn't quite pan out. What were the challenges and, and problems with an earlier generation of epigenetic therapies? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still in the early stages, actually, uh, to be honest. I mean, I think the field really has not been, you know, really the industrialization of thinking about epigenetics began about 10 years ago. And in, the, in kind of the context of science and understanding how to you know, understand the biology behind the, the targets that are involved and how that impacts disease and patients and how do you design clinical trials. I think all of that we're still, you know, maybe not in the infancy, but maybe maybe the toddler stages. Um, you know, I think like any area, I think there's um, a, a lot of excitement around kind of the early first wave of targets um, and the approaches that you are, uh, you know, looking to, um, uh, um, you know, impact those targets, um, and you learn a lot about, you know, how well you can impact them and whether those are the right targets or not. So I think, I think that's, that's a lot of what we learned. Uh, you know, first generation epigenetics targets were probably, you know, very broad, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, perturbation of the epigenetic factors regulated maybe thousands of genes and the impact was just too broad and you're impacting not just disease cells, but also normal cells too. And what we've been able to learn more more recently, um, which is a lot of what we're doing in Constellation, is using translational science to understand the right context um, and which epigenetic regulators are important in specific contexts um, in, in diseases, but not, not in healthy cells. Um, and instead of targeting mechanisms that impact thousands of genes, can we impact mechanisms that, that are targeting you know, a much smaller number and having a direct impact on the disease itself? Constellation focuses on discovering and developing drugs that target three classes of epigenetic regulators. What are these three classes, and, and what do they do? Yeah, so um, we, we call them uh, writers, um, erasers, and readers. 
Um, so remember I talked earlier about how uh, the, the genes that are encoded in our DNA are, are tightly wound around um, proteins called histones, and, those, and that, that forms a structure together. The DNA around histones is called chromatin. Um, and that's packed into, um, into, uh, you know, more, uh, higher level structures called chromosomes, right? And that's all kind of impacted, you know, into, into our, the nucleus of our, all of our cells. Um, so what, what these, uh, classes of targets, readers, writers, and erasers do is that they, they are the ones that are responsible for modifying the structure of chromatin. Um, so a, a writer, for instance, is an enzyme that is responsible for making a chemical modification to the chromatin structure. Um, and so one of our lead, lead candidates um, targets a, a methyl transferase or an enzyme that places a methyl group um, on chromatin. Um, and that and that modification um, changes the conformation of chromatin uh, to actually suppress the transcription of genes. Um, conversely, uh, you know, the, the enzymes that remove those modifications are called uh, erasers or or they are so they're removing those 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 marks or those modifications, and so similarly we have targets that we pursue that are demethylases, and so they are responsible for removing methyl groups. And in this case, it would if we had the converse, you know, demethylase, it would remove the the methyl mark and it would open up the uh, the chromatin structure and allow genes to be transcribed. And then finally, readers are not enzymes, but they're just proteins that will would um. So they would bind to chemical modification. So in this case, um, there is a uh, an acetyltransferase that places a mark um, on chromatin, and um, the the, the bet bromodomain, which is the target of our lead program, uh, simply comes and attaches and binds to that modification and further modifies the chromatin structure to allow um, gene transcription to be turned on. Are there certain cancers that are better candidates for? Epigenetic therapies than others. You know, I think um, all diseases, whether cancer or not, are probably um, there's probably epigenetic modifiers that are that are um, important. And so, I think it's the, I think our job is to figure out which which diseases and when which contexts to match up with the right biologies. Um, and so, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pin it to kind of is there a specific subset of cancers that will be more likely to respond to genetic therapies or not. I mean, we have work ongoing right now. Our lead program is a hematologic malignancy called myelofibrosis. Um, another clinical program is focusing in on prostate cancer. Um, we also have early development ongoing with other solid tumors like 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 bladder cancer in mind. Um, so there's certainly a whole host of diseases and, and, and really no limit to that where we can modify, identify the links to epigenetics. And really, again, coming back to translational science and the importance of that is really the key in, in a lot of the focus of the work that we're doing today. I, I want to talk about those two programs, but before we do, I, I know that epigenetics can also play a role in the immune system. Can targeting epigenetic regulators help enlist the immune system in, in the fight against cancer? Yeah, and we've done some work here uh, to uh, look into that. Um, you know, specifically, um, and there's a number of different ways that you can you can think about how epigenetics can have an impact on the immune system. Um, you know, uh, immune cells, um, like many cells, differentiate from earlier stem-like cells into various you know subpopulations. 
the, the path that they take to become, um, you know, you know, for instance, um, one of the biologies that we explored pretty, pretty deeply is, um, T cells biology. And T cells are the, are the real targets that we're focused on to fight off, uh, cancers and to build, uh, immunity, uh, toward cancer. Um, now there are different flavors of T cells. There's T effector cells, which, um, which actually, uh, you know, seek out and destroy, um, things that aren't supposed to be there. But then there are also conversely T regulatory cells, which, um, which actually do the opposite and they, they create immune tolerance. Um, and allow pathogens to continue to, to be there. You know, in, in most cases, you're trying to protect against normal, normal, um, normal, normal cells. Um, and so it turns out that whether a T cell becomes a T effector cell or a T regulatory cell, for instance, is epigenetically regulated. Uh, and that differentiation state is, is determined by, by the epigenome. Um, and so you can think about modifying epigenetic factors to change the composition of T cells in the tumor and tip the balance towards T effector cells, which would be, which would be anti-tumor as opposed to T reg cells, which would be pro-tumor. As you mentioned, you have two programs in mid-state clinical testing right now. You talked about the myelofibrosis program. What's the prognosis for someone today with the condition and how is it treated? Yeah, so uh, myelofibrosis is an interesting disease. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's considered a, a, uh, a cancer or, or maybe even a precancer um, that has pretty significant deleterious consequences for these patients. Um, uh, what, what ends up happening is that there is a, a proliferation of cells in the bone marrow, um, generally myeloid cells that are proliferating, and they're 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 spewing out inflammatory cells um, that are insulting the marrow. The marrow is becoming um, scarred and non-functional. And the marrow is responsible for producing our red blood cells, which which allow us to give us, you know, the oxygen comparing capacity allows us to feel energetic. It produces platelets, which allow us to clot when we're bleeding. And if you have a, a marrow that's not functioning properly, you're not able to properly generate those types of blood cells. Um, and so then what ends up happening is that other organs in the body uh, try to pick up the slack. Um, and generally that's done by the spleen. Uh, the, and then the spleen becomes hyper enlarged, sometimes 20 times larger than normal. And it protrudes. You can see in the left side of the of people's body, you see this big protrusion. Um, it's causing a lot of consequences for the patients. They can't, you know, sometimes they can't eat because it's, it's squeezing on their stomach and they, they feel full all the time. They have trouble sleeping. The patients are chronically suffering from systemic inflammation, so they feel flu-like symptoms. And all the while, um, a lot of pain uh, as well. And all the while, their bone marrow is becoming progressively more and more compromised. And generally, what ends up happening is these patients will, will further, their disease will convert to AML or leukemia, um, or they, they will get some type of infection and they would, uh, they would die. And, and, and patients generally live with this disease, you know, for five to ten years, but it's a extremely poor quality of life for these patients. They're suffering quite a bit. Um, about uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, there was a drug uh, developed uh, uh, called Jackify um, that blocks one of the major pathways that drives the inflammation um, in the bone marrow, um, and, and that had a, a very nice effect on these patients. Um, it improved the, all the symptoms that they're suffering from, the chronic inflammation, 
flu-like symptoms, pain, also reduce the size of the spleen. Um, and that's been the basis for, that was the basis for its approval, um, reducing size of spleen and improving symptoms, um, and provides, you know, pretty good quality, quality of life benefits for these patients. But, but ultimately, most folks are skeptical that it's actually changing the course and the pathology of the disease, and patients continue to have their bone marrow function worsen over time. And now once patients fail Jackify, there really aren't really many options left. There was a recent drug approval of another drug that, that's pretty similar. It works pretty similar to Jackify. And then really there have been no new advancements in myelofibrosis, um, you know, in close to a decade. You're developing an experimental therapy, 0601. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, so CPI 06610 uh, is a, um, a BET inhibitor. Um, now, it turns out that um, BET has uh, um, a couple of different um, biologies that it impacts that's very relevant to myelofibrosis. Um, one that I mentioned er- earlier uh, that, that patients with MS are uh, suffering from chronic inflammation, and we know that BET is a major driver of an inflammatory process in the body. And so by blocking um, with 610, we're able to shut down inflammation leads to the transcription of the genes that are, that are responsible for expressing um, these, these uh, inflammatory um, uh, kind of markers and proteins in the body. But the other feature that we think is quite important, and we're learning more and more about this, is the impact that that has on uh, myeloid cells in the bone marrow. Now, these are, these are stem-like cells in the bone marrow that can become many different things. Um, one of the things that's, that, they, that, they, that they differentiate into is a cell type called megakaryocytes. It turns out that megakaryocytes are the key cells in the marrow that are crowding out healthy cells um, and, and spewing out cytokines when, when patients have myelofibrosis. And what we learned with, with, uh, with 610 is that we're able to block that differentiation of these myeloid cells into megakaryocytes. And when we do that, we're, we're essentially giving the bone marrow a chance to heal itself. And what we've seen in these patients is that not only are we impacting the spleen size and the symptoms, but, you know, pretty rapidly, we're actually reversing the scarring of the bone marrow. Um, and we've had a large proportion of our patients actually show their bone marrow fibrosis scores improve, and actually pretty quickly, too, that occurs in the first six months in most of the patients where we see it. Um, so, so very, um, you know, different than what we think is happening with the, uh, Jackify, which is helping patients manage their in- inflammatory symptoms. Um, you know, this, this is more about actually modifying the underlying pathology of the disease itself and reversing the course of the disease. You also mentioned you're developing, uh, an experimental therapy for prostate cancer. This is CPI 1205. What's the prognosis today for someone with prostate cancer, and how, how is that treated? Yeah, so prostate cancer is a, is a very, um, um, uh, it's probably the most prevalent uh, cancer um, among men um, in, in, the, in, the, in the country. Um, and so and it's treated in a number of different ways. A, a lot of folks have localized prostate cancer that's cured with surgery. Um, you know, if that, if that, if that doesn't work, um, you know, prostate cancer tends not to metastasize to other organs, uh, but it doesn't, it does in some cases, but, but in many cases it metastasizes the bone, and in some cases it won't metastasize at all. 
in that case, uh, patients are treated with therapies that reduce um, testosterone or, or, or chemical castration. Um, and, and over time, you know, that, that works pretty well for many patients. But roughly, um, probably about 40,000 patients or so in the U.S. Um, become resistant to, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, you know, essentially chemical castration. And those patients have a pretty, a pretty poor prognosis. And those are the ones that we're focused in on. Um, when patients are first diagnosed with castration resistant prostate cancer, generally they also have metastasized at that point either to the bone or to other organs. They're treated with one of two therapies, um, either a drug called Zytiga, uh, or Extandi. And these drugs essentially block a pathway called the androgen receptor, which is signaling kind of testosterone signaling um, and a key driver of prostate cancer. Um, generally, that works well in patients, but only for about a year. Um, and then when patients progress on that, unfortunately, there's really not much else besides chemotherapy, um, and these patients tend to be pretty sick and frail and want to avoid chemo. And so before taking chemo, they'll just take the other therapy that they didn't try. So if you took Zytiga, you'll now take Xtandi. If you took Xtandi, now you take Zytiga. Um, but predictably, now it doesn't work as well. Instead of working for about a year, you may get a couple of months. And so the goal that we have with CPI-1205 is that when they make that crossover to the second AR agent, is to add 1205 on top. And our goal is to see if we can prolong the duration of the response that they get. Is there any expectation that these epigenetic therapies would have a, a synergistic effect with other approaches to treating cancer? Yeah, so that, that's precisely how we think it's working in the case of prostate cancer. Um, so when we uh, look at what happens inside a tumor and which genes are being impacted by an AR therapy like, like uh, Xtandi, um, and then we add on 1205, essentially what we see is those genes, if they're, be, if they're being turned on, they're being turned on a lot more. And if they're being turned off, they're being turned off a lot more in really a hyperactive, hypersensitive way to the extent that we think it's actually a synergistic response. And so when we, when we look at the effect that we have on cancer cells that are being killed, that response is dramatically synergizing. Um, you know, 1205 and, and in this case, expanding. And that was the initial impetus for us to, to want to go into prostate cancer. It's really kind of translational work like that, that we've been, um, you know, aiming to uncover, uh, with, with the work that we're doing in the labs. What's the path forward? Well, so, um, so that drug uh, has a, a phase two study that's, uh, fully enrolled, um, and we'll, we'll analyze the data and read it out in the middle of the year, and we'll make a go-no-go decision on next steps for that program. Jagar Raifata, President and CEO of Constellation Pharmaceuticals. Jagar, thanks so much for your time today. Okay, hey, I really appreciate the time to talk about Constellation and the exciting stuff that we have going on. Um, uh, take care. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. 
Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. <laughs>